Hey, everybody. Welcome to a drama of diving. We are uh, going to be blessed with Tim, Andrew, and Daryl Adams tonight talking about something a little bit different than where we've been. Uh, we've talked about technical and recreational diving a fair amount, and we'd like to kind of push into the emergency response diving, public safety type diver uh, concept. Uh, there's a lot of different things that we we deal with with this with this area and uh, and safety, and we've kind of gone over that in other drama divings. But uh, I wanted to bring in some expertise being a lay and technical diving and recreational diving instructor, but uh, it's kind of outside my wheelhouse on the uh, emergency response. So I wanted to bring in some experts and have a general chat. Uh, as always, uh, you know, whiskey might, may possibly be involved. We'll see what ends up happening there. And we will be chatting about uh, public safety diving. So without further ado, let's bring in Tim Andrew and Daryl Adams. So Tim and Daryl. Hey guys, how we doing? Good, Jason. Hey, hey Tim. Hey Jason, how you doing? Hey guys. Uh, so uh, let's go, let's start with a little bit of background from you guys before we get hot into the topic, because as we know, in, in this space, especially uh, it, people are really looking for qualifications and, and uh, being able to establish trust in this area and being just a recreational technical diver, uh, you know, I lose trust in the emergency response, public safety area. So, Tim, why don't you give us just a little background on yourself? I've been Northeast rec diving for about 18 years now, firefighter for 20, volunteer in New Jersey, uh, active on the public safety dive team for 10 years, and we've been teaching for about six now through ERDI. Also president of the North Jersey Regional Scuba Task Force, which is three different counties and eight different teams that we all work in conjunction with each other with other agencies and resources to accomplish the same goal. Nice. Excellent. Uh, Daryl, how would you give us, give us a little background on yourself, bud? Uh, started diving uh, with the fire department in 1993. Uh, we got straight into public safety diving. Uh, been with the city of Raleigh fire department for a little over 22 years, right at 22 years. Uh, been with the volunteering for 27 years. Uh, went through the very first ERDI instructor trainer course um, in 2000, um, 2000, somewhere in that area, uh, down in Florida, and been teaching public safety ever since then. You know, run a county dive team up here since the early 90s. Uh, run, had a few opportunities to see a bunch of different calls. A um, few other hats with my job in Raleigh, but that's what it is. Nice. Um, so to give background on myself and, and you guys, I met Daryl Adams through my instructor trainer workshop with SDI. Uh, he was one of our evaluators and Tim, this is about like when the, I think the first time we're actually going to meet in person is on Sunday, uh, yeah, um, which is, good. yeah, which is kind of interesting. So, um, Tim's doing some first response training international stuff. And we, we've been discussing back and forth a bunch of different things and, uh, we hope to get to be able to do some diving together and, and kind of been talking about some public safety stuff and equipment and things like that. So, okay. uh, so it's a pleasure having both of you guys, uh, here. Let me, uh, let me give a background on where, where I'm coming from on this. We had an incident in Buffalo, New York a couple of years ago, which kind of shed light on some training issues, um, and adequate training. So, um, what I wanted to take a look at it and interacting with different dive teams was, you know, we hear a lot of different feedback on, you know, I had somebody call up. I want to, I want to go from open water through rescue because I'm going to be on a dive team. Well, that, that that's the end of your training. Yeah. That's the end of our training. Oh, well, that's, that's you know, I can't do ERDI, but that's, that's not enough. There's usually need to do more public safety. Um, and then there are other organizations who have public safety type, type ratings, but they might not be up to the ERDI, NFPA um, standards. And what we see a lot of is divers that come through in open water and rescue, uh, open water advanced, open water advanced adventure, however you want to call it, and rescue and then consider themselves on a dive team. And the position I was, was proposing was that rescue diver isn't enough. We're going to get into more than that, but the, that rescue diver is not enough to be on a dive team. Uh, Tim, you want to put your two cents in on, on whether rescue diver is enough to be on a dive team or not? I, I agree with that stance. When I was going through recreational training, rescue diver was a huge part in building confidence and being a good buddy. And it's a phenomenal program, but 
to say that you're a public safety diver after that is is really far-fetched in our opinion there's specialized training we're going through we're, we're putting guys through blackout scenarios entanglements obstacles a multitude of stressors to make sure they can handle not only the blackwater environment but just the environment in general with the obstructions we're diving in so I don't want to shortchange a rescue diver because as a recre as a recreational diver, it's an amazing class. It really it bumps you up another level in safety. I, it's always nice to dive with a buddy that has rescue diver because you know they can help you. But public safety, you're on your own, you're on a tether, you you have very a lot of missions to accomplish. Rescue diver is more kind of off the cuff. You need to step up and help a buddy or respond to a situation. Public safety is a huge team effort, which they'll never teach you in recreational rescue classes, how to operate in a crime scene or with multiple people or multiple agencies or police departments. Uh, I'm sure Dow would agree. It starts escalating pretty well into the amount of people that show up on a call that you have to be able to function with as a unit so everybody goes home safe and the job gets done. Yeah, definitely. Daryl, what's your take? Rescue diver as, as adequate for... Uh, public safety. Yeah, I like to basically I agree with um, basically everything that Tim just mentioned there. Uh, I think when you think about the recreational type programs, again, that's what they're based off of is recreational um, diving. If you look specifically at the standard for rescue diving, you look at the amount of hours that goes into it and the skill sets that are required, they don't reflect what we see in the public safety environment. Um, Tim was mentioning the black water, the other all the unique hazards that we have specifically that we have to deal with. And when you go back and start cataloging, looking at um, accident fatalities that happen within the public safety field, that particular course doesn't adequately prepare you to meet those challenges that we face in that environment. You know, whether it's talking about hazardous materials or, or, or the dangers of hydraulics or whatever else it is, you know, it just doesn't adequately prepare you for it. You know, again, there is some great value in that skill set. Don't get me wrong. Um, learning how to deal with some problems yourself and maybe how to assist a buddy. Um, there's always value in those programs. But again, just for a complete program for what you need for public safety diving, um, you really need to go well beyond that and seek additional training um, to be more efficient in those environments. Nice. Um, so what is so say ERD one? Uh, something along those public safety intro introductory to public safety. Somebody's coming from a recreational standpoint. What is involved in that actual training that that's different than rescue diver? Because I, I think that there's a lot of you don't know what you don't know type of scenarios. Like we went through rescue and we can train internally mm -hmm. and whatever, but um, without being exposed to ERDI one and, and FPA guidelines and and all that, I, I think that there's a uh, deficit in people's understanding on exactly what the difference is. Uh, why don't we start out with Daryl since he's been talking already. So Daryl, what's, what do you, what do you see in an ERD one that, that start point that's a little bit different than rescue that, that is uh, a value? Well, one thing um, when I normally start a public safety class, like an ERD one, I really get into where did public safety diving come from, how it evolved. Uh, where did the history come from? Cause it's nice for people who've never known to understand how public safety diving and where we are today with it and understanding the standards and that, that are out there or the, or the guidelines through it, like you mentioned through NFPA or the OSHA regulations. Uh, there's so many times we look at those, those regulations or those standards and we like, Oh, they look like a big wall to us. And we just try to figure out how to, to deal with those. And in those programs, we address some of those issues. Uh, but I, I like to get really into understanding right to start with is I I'll go back to way back to 1960 and start looking at the public safety fatalities and accidents. And I want people to understand why we are teaching the way we are teaching, because there have been incidents uh, that where a person needed either run out of air or had entanglement issues or there's a weight issue. There's a buoyancy issue or there's a some other type of hazard they encountered that they weren't adequately prepared for, whether it was an overhead environment, moving water, whatever it is. And we can adequately address um, and look at some of those situations and, and understand the value uh, going forward in the class, uh, basically to look at those skill sets. Uh, but I like to start off with where we came from and the reasons why we were where we are, whether it's standard regulations and looking at accident fatalities mostly. Good. Uh, Tim, how are you running ERD1? What's the differences there? Anything to add to what Daryl had to say? 
I, I, they're all good points Daryl brings up. I mean, we both teach on the same platform, so we're running very similar classes, and obviously each person's experience changes that. But he's exactly right. We got to teach guys from the basics again. This is this isn't an extension of recreational diving. This is a whole other genre. You don't just take your doubles and go to a rebreather without starting from zero. And this is a very similar situation. You got individuals on a tether line. It's it's not. What we're doing, I hate to say, is not rescuing. It's recovery. Yeah. It's time we deploy a team and get our act together and see what's happening on scene. That will tell you we're hiking three, four miles into the woods sometimes. You're not making a recovery at that point. So you got to know how to step back, regroup as a team, document everything so that, God forbid, it's a homicide that you don't prevent someone from getting charged with it due to your mistakes. And like you got to bring everything down to the basics with these individuals and almost break bad habits and get them out of a rescue mentality. So and true. To a, a mentality of recovery and bringing closure to families and helping the PD close out a case or pursue a crime scene. That stuff falls on volunteers and, and we could drop the ball at any point if we're not staying to our training, have the right SOGs in place. It's a very complex system we're doing out here. It's it's very far from recreational. But so you're Dallas seeing it. You could take someone that just has open water and very little recreational experience and turn them into an amazing PSD diver because you're not breaking bad habits. And this is how they yeah. learn to dive. But you take that same guy and put him out in a wreck with us on Sunday, Jason, and they're a hot mess. <laughs> very much uh -huh. so, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember years ago, we were diving with John Hot for the OTS off the coast of North Carolina. A bunch of public safety guys went recreationally diving. And it's like Tim said, it's just they're creatures of habit. And, yeah. you know, and they look at traditional styles of diving the way we came from. You know, they were they were doing things that are different. And they, was, they were trained at a recreational level or, or something else. And then they try to dive recreationally as a public safety diver. You know, they have those unique challenges they have to face. They're not, they don't have adequate skill sets for those environments. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess that begs the question of from a recreational technical instructor perspective, I have a public safety diver or soon to be public safety diver come to me and says, I want to do open water and rescue. And with flexible standards, I can kind of cater the, the course. However, normally we get we don't just get one fire department person that just wants to jump in an open water class. Normally we get a class of fire department people. Uh, how can we change that class or add to that class to aid you guys in per, per pursuing that uh, that public safety side? What what skills? What, what skill sets? What conversations can we have that will help them further into the area where you guys are looking at? Uh, Tim, go ahead. I, I think that's kind of a hard thing to crack. Again, it's two different areas. You're talking mm -hmm. about training someone to self-rescue and rescue their buddy. So maybe to have a description of what public safety diving is and a little disclaimer explaining that this is not public safety diving and these are the goals you need to take to become one may pursue it in the right direction. But the last thing I would want to ever do was deter anybody from advancing their recreational skills mm -hmm. as a public safety diver. So I think it's a great class to have. I have some staff in a couple of weeks that are going to do rescue and search and recovery just because they want to better themselves because uh -huh. we learn from everybody. I mean, I may learn from you someday, Jason, when we're playing yeah. on the next. If you're not susceptible to learning from everybody around you, then you're kind of a lost cause, especially with public safety diving. Yeah. Daryl, thoughts? Yeah, um, Jason, one of the um, skill sets that's real, I've seen you, you just had a talk on it not too long ago, real passionate about, is think about the waiting and buoyancy of some of our divers. You think about where the history came from. Those are some skill sets that you could really focus in on those guys that's wanting to go down that road. Uh, understanding uh, we don't need to be wearing 50 pounds of weight necessarily dropping to the bottom of a farm pond. You know, you, you run into some unique challenges and hazards there that that can really get you in trouble. And again, that recreational diver who wants to maybe look at that way, really work on those types of skill sets, you know, that will make them a more efficient person moving through the water. And when they transition into the public safety environment, those skill sets would have value. You yeah. know, um, 
like because any like Tim said, any class you take has there's value in it. It's all in the application in which you bring it forward and try to apply it into the the public safety world. But we have to build upon those skills much, much, much more because of the environment. Because you look at a, a public safety diver, he don't get to choose when he goes diving. You know, the but the pager goes off. It's the middle of the night. It's a storm. It's a hurricane. It's whatever else it is. You know, it's not the ideal time. We're not showing up at the lake today in a nice, bright, sunny day, you know, and we're having to deal with the stress of bringing something back, you know, whether it's an article or whether it's a body a lot of times, you know, and there's a lot of mental stress there, you know, so those stressors are not what recreational people had typically experience. Yeah. And that's, you know, and I could be slightly off the mark, but, you know, oral inflation is one of the things we talk about. If you're properly weighted with oral inflation, it, it doesn't take as many breaths to fill your BCD. If you are overweighted and you aren't forgetting to drop your weights or whatever, you're stressed, it, the more the overweighted you are, the more breath it's going to take, the harder it's going to be to orally inflate. If you're out of gas and in zero vis situations, there's a higher probability of you going out of gas. So, like Daryl was saying, 50 pounds of lead, throwing it on you to pl plaster you to the bottom. Like, yeah, I get it. You probably need a little more weight to get a little bit more um, purchase on whatever you guys are doing. But at the same time, it has to be reasonable. Um, I believe, is that a correct statement that I made there, guys? I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, waiting is the biggest issue. We never recover anybody that has a PFD on or didn't have a weight belt on. It's uh -huh. just the unfortunate events of dive accidents. So I would agree. I mean, definitely waiting is an issue. And yeah, we're not going to put 50 pounds on in a reservoir, but we're definitely going to do it in a river because we're trained and practiced in it. And it's safer True. to be overweighted because last thing you want to do is be flapping around mm -hmm. in the current on a tether yep. line. Yep. And you got to yeah. learn to dive that way. And man, you don't want to give recreational people the tools to hurt themselves. And I'm sure mm -hmm. Daryl struggles with this regularly. Is You don't want to misinform people saying, you learn in recreation, it's not okay to dive overweighted, but in PSD diving, you're trained to dive overweighted. So uh -huh. there's a big gray area there that I would hate to see someone get misled from recreational PSD and get themselves in trouble. Like we see all over the country and the world happening. It's sad. And I mean, that's why I got into teaching was to try to prevent these issues and bring reality to the field instead of just experience. You get, like you mentioned earlier, you get guys that are in-house for 40, 30 years on the department. And these are amazing assets to the team, and you don't ever want to push these guys away. But to use them as your prime instructor, they're not keeping up with the times. You got to – there's technology out there that makes our life easier, like sonar. We run sonar constantly now to prevent our guys from diving. Recreational divers want to get in the water and spend all the time they can. Ideally, we want a five-minute bottom time, a quick grab, and go home. Mm -hmm. And that's it's a huge difference there. Yeah. Daryl, anything to add to that? Yeah, the technology, like Tim was saying, is really changing our environment, you know, and if we can embrace that and train some of these people how to use some of that stuff, it does make our job a little bit more efficient. It does increase do or decrease risk just a little bit for us. And uh I think really we have to understand that when we're looking at those recreational programs. You know, we mentioned as before, there is those, those value there, but we got to understand how to apply it to those those different environments, because, you know, are we dealing with that entanglement hazard? Are we are you the guy that's as your safety guy, you're the backup or 90 percent divers or the response person that's got to hit the water. And now you got to go affect and save one of your brothers or sisters that's having trouble in the water. Um there's um, all kinds of things from understanding gear configurations and whatever else it is. You know, you actually have to train that currency and proficiency training and really stay on top of that so that when you need that, you know, some of those actions that it develops like muscle memory. So therefore, you know how to, to do gas switching. You know how to understand to switch from a, a primary gas to, the, to your reserve or you're dealing with some full face mask drills or whatever else or something's happening with your exposure protection you got to figure that out or how can i cut this cut this line that i got entangled into it's developing that muscle memory so when we do have that reaction that we do have a positive reaction nice um i guess that uh there's two questions that are developing but uh i'm going to go with uh gear configurations you just mentioned uh Gear configuration wise, how do you guys run that? Do you run the exact same rig on every single person? Is it supposed to be able to be put on any person at any point in time? Uh, what are you guys running or seeing or encouraging people? And, and let me let me back up a little bit of saying we see a lot of 
hey, and then along with the technology thing, we see a lot of, well, we bought this eight years ago, so we want more of them. Well, yeah. <laughs> there's some possibly better options out there. No, we have these. Everyone needs to be in the exact same thing because we bought it eight years ago. Like, But I've got six other options that are way better for you. I'd like to have this conversation. We can't have that conversation. It all needs to be the same. Uh, Tim, what do you see with that? I lived that for a little bit when I got into being a coordinator. We had, not to knock any of the guys that are listening, but we had recreational mentality that kind of followed suit throughout the counties. Standard BCs, how do you decon a standard BC? Like, it's yep. just not going to happen. Uh, plastic clips, that's a huge no-no in our world. So one of the first things I did as coordinator was work with the town and chiefs for a couple of years to get capital. And we went to back plates and harnesses. I, I don't want to plug a manufacturer, but we have Hacian Infinity System. It fits every guy like a glove. We're firemen. Uh, there's guys six foot. There's guys five foot and 400 pounds. They're all very capable divers in the right equipment. You put them in a jacket BC that's a medium that's supposed to fit seven different guys. It's just not going to allow them to function right or be safe. So we uh -huh. went Hacian back plate. You can pull the plate apart and decon every section of this. You're not replacing a BC. You're replacing a bladder. So when you start breaking the components down, it you just find that the gear is the big one. It's hard. There's, we got gas blocks now throughout the county, which took years to do. And it's different kinds of gas blocks. Some are on the mask, some are clipped off, and which one works better for you? Like Daryl said, the muscle memory could save someone's life, and it has, just by being able to go down there, know where a gas block is, know what a gas block is, flip the switch to give them backup, or pour them in air. This saves guys' lives. We're not diving 200 feet, so you're in 40, 50 feet of water, 20 foot of water, you can plug in another aluminum 80 to a guy. You just bought him hours in his situation to help him rectify it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Daryl, take. Yeah, um, I, I really like the C teams who are practicing that, that gear configurations where there's a lot of commonalities. You know, so that response diver, when he goes down in that zero environment, he's able to say, all right, he is dressed the same way I am. I know where this particular gas block is. I know what he's diving. I know how this... Uh, this harness or system he's diving, I know how it has put together. So there is that value there in having matching gear. Now you have teams that come out of here that, like you said, it's diving equipment years that are years and years and years old. And that's where you actually have to have a good conversation with the, the sometimes the administration of these things and just talk about the value of risk management to the powers that be as far as money, who control the money and everything, uh, what's going to bring their guys home? You know, okay. what's going to allow them to be a little bit more efficient to where we can reduce that risk? Because the worst thing that that fire chief or that police chief wants to see is um, the news crews all showing up because we have an accident and we're not able to effectively train because we didn't have gear that was maintenance or we didn't have gear that was appropriate for the environment that we're diving or uh, there's there is better gear that now that has come along and that can be more efficient for us and to reduce that risk so there are unique challenges and sometimes you just have to start from the beginning with these guys and say hey just realize that this is your life support equipment treated as such just like your scba that's on the fire truck or your hazmat suit that's on the um hazmat rig you know these this is life support equipment and where do you draw that line uh what's that dollar figure you're going to put on what your life is worth yeah and that's that's a, great, that's a really good point though because when i started asking for dive gear they thought i was looking at pretty fish when you start explaining it's ppe everybody's ears pop up and they start listening to you yeah so, and, and I think that's a tough point for, I'm not sure if any regular dive shop owners are wa watching right now or, or going through that. It's a frustration that I have where I'm going it, and I, I didn't play my cards ahead of time. So like backplate and wing and same thing when it comes to decon, like really I can take it apart. I can spray it down. It's stainless steel. You've got to be kidding me. Like I can put new webbing on and you're telling me that this is not what you want. Like I'm not saying every single person needs to be on it, but like you were saying, Tim, is we can put it on any single person, you know, and, and adjust it and, and there's lots of differences. Um, I think where we get caught up into a lot of with that of the, um, and a lot of that comes from the, we went through recreational training and that's all we've had. And this is what's working. And I think Tim, you kind of mentioned that. And, you know, our, our 
external training was just recreational at some dive shop and this dive shop owner's just trying to sell me stuff. And then we're going to train everything internally because they're just trying to sell us stuff type of mentality, uh, which we've seen. Uh, it, and it is what it is. And, and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but that's kind of, you know, the you don't know what you don't know type of scenario. If we can train internally, uh, how would you deal with? And I, and I guess this goes to any of the regular dive shop owners that are trying to, to fight the good fight on this one is how would you deal with? Uh, people saying, well, we've got eight of this and you're now you're trying to tell me to switch over to a backplate and wing. Uh, is that a, you know, we were talking about Daryl, you were talking about the fact that trying to keep something consistent. Uh, how do you do that? Do you tell them that they need all new things or say, Hey, try a couple of these and see how it works. Daryl, what is your thought there? If that is something you would like to add to. Yes. Sometimes we have to do what I call fire department 101. Um, you have to bring in that person or we would call it dive team 101, I guess, bring them in so they can understand what that regulator does, what that BC does. Um, what are the pros for it? What are the limitations for it? A lot of dive teams do fall farce to the local dive shop because what they sell is always the best, you mm -hmm. know, um, when that's what they always try to push. And, and sometimes it may not be the best piece of equipment that's out there. There might be some other things that if, the dive team actually were able to do their homework or the dive shop was able to do their homework. There might be some, some things that they can um, bring forth to the team to show them that things are a little bit better. But I think if it's really valuable to have that education. Sometimes you can get with some of the manufacturers and they can bring in demo gear, you know, or have demo days from these guys to come in and say, Hey, try out this new plate and wing system, try out this new dry suit, try out this heads up, Display system, try out whatever this is, you know, in a controlled situation and demo it and see if there's something you work, if it likes and then work for you or something. But those demo days work pretty good. And a lot of manufacturers will send their stuff out to, to that can happen to their local dive shops. So you just reach out to them, whether you're talking about it's Halcyon or OMS or, or whoever, you know, um, and they can give you that stuff and you can play with it. You know, and that really helps those teams decide, said, hey, that does work really pretty good. Or if you have some in stock saying, hey, guys, come into our next day. We're doing some training, whatever, and try this on. Use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we run all backplate and wings for all of our recreational training anyway. So that's an easy that's an easy sell for us. It's a little bit harder yeah. for some other people. Uh, Tim, your take it, it mixed kits because of trying to move on how I mean, that's that's basically the hurdle we're looking at it going, listen, you know, if you're buying one or two, you know, two more sets for these two more guys, we're not telling you about, you got to buy everything new. Let's just start with this. How does that work for you? Um, is that something you've pushed before? How have you dealt with that? It seems like you kind of dealt with that when you were coming through. So yeah, it's really hard to approach a chief and tell him, Hey, you have six functioning pieces of equipment, but we're going to change them all out and you're going to need to give me 60 grand. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a hard sell to anybody. Um, I don't know, good, bad, or indifferent. I always try to take the diver that's using that gear and, and show them the deficiency in it. Explain to them. Put them on a tether line and, unfortunately, break a plastic clip. And then mm -hmm. show them this is why we don't use plastic clips. And uh -huh. sometimes it's just the re repetition of finding the right guy on the right team that's going to be an advocate and say, hey, look, this stuff works. This is why it works. And my staff and I are big believers in proving why, not just telling you this is why, because this is what we do. Uh -huh. I'm always open. I've learned from students. I'm sure Daryl has too. Sometimes you just get yes. so hung up in your own ways. I'm sure you have too, Jason, that yeah. student comes up with something and you're like, holy, wow. All right, let's yep. give that a try. And you got to be open to that stuff. That's why I love teaching IDCs. People come in and I'm like, and that's stolen. Thank you very much for doing that research for me. Thanks. Uh, we got a lot of things we've stolen from a lot of different students and a lot of different things in that ca yeah, sure. category. So it's not stolen. Uh, we're all family here. We're all <laughs> doing it. And we're all going for diver safety. So if we have the same yep. common goal and we're all ending up there, then I don't think it's stealing at all. Anybody, yeah. anybody I take it as a compliment you want to use what we're doing. I appreciate I like it. it. I'll see yeah. you on su I'll see you on Sunday and see how you dive and maybe I'll take some things. We'll see about that. Yeah. <laughs> Bring those deco bottles. It's gonna be a long one. Uh, I hope it is. I'll be on my rebreather, so don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So back at it. So the rescue diver, uh, and I think that the the title is uh, somewhat misleading, but not at the same at the same time not misleading. It's the idea of is rescue diver adequate, and, and it kind of gets along the lines of is recreational training and mentalities how does that flow over into some public safety is kind of where we're going with this 
And so Rescue Diver, we go through some things and it's recreationally based. And there's a lot of stuff that is recreational that kind of trickles in like the BCDs and, and some of the regulators and some of the stuff like that. And then we go to the complete opposite where suddenly a plastic clip, regular Cordura BCD is great. But then we need a fully vulcanized head to toe rubber suit that we're in. Um, and there's been some discussion and arguments on dry suit materials. And since I actually have experts here in front of me, I, I always like to ask this question when I'm talking to ERDI type uh, individuals and see their opinions on this. When it comes to dry suits, dry suit materials, what are your go-tos when it comes to dry suit, dry suit materials? Because there are misleading or um, uh, argumentative uh, studies out there. So uh, I think I started with Daryl last time. So Tim, uh, what's your take on dry suit materials uh, for public safety? Uh, we're running the DUI public safety suits, and we also have the contaminated water suits. We have a couple of those that are kind of, I hate to say one size fits all, but we don't need them as frequently because the, the public safety suit that DUI produces is rated for some contaminants. So when we go into a grossly contaminated area, you have a vehicle in the water with possible victims. That's kind of about the top of the shelf here. We have every factor. We're going to go into a vulcanized rubber suit, and but we're always deconning after every dive. We're cleaning our suits. It's all about maintenance and the equipment. I mean, we got teams that are doing everything from all different suits, but if you're maintaining it and you're inspecting it and you're using it for the correct environment, then again, the teams are kind of stuck with what they have. So you don't want to keep their efforts back from them because of a suit, right. but you teach them why this suit may not work for them. This, you know, the contaminants are not having a yellow valve with the gasoline on a dry suit because the diaphragm would fail. Mm -hmm. so about what about you almost want to scare them a little bit, unfortunately, yeah. due to the reality of what's happening. What about Trilam? Is Trilam adequate? Trilam not adequate? You know, where, where's your fall on Trilam? I really don't fall anywhere on that, to be honest with you. Okay. Again, I don't want to mislead anybody. I don't really have an opinion on that. We, we're using the vulcanized for certain situations and the public safety suit and others. Okay. It's a public safety suit, Trilam. I don't deal DUI, so. I believe so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Daryl, your take on materials. Features like pockets and Kevlar. Yeah. And yeah. It's helpful when you're getting down and dirty in the things to have the Kevlar knees and some mm -hmm. pockets for some extra pieces of equipment you may need. Absolutely. Yeah. I had the uh, unique opportunity a few years ago to work with a dry suit manufacturer. They flew me out and, uh, and we started looking at public safety materials and things along those lines. And understanding where the manufacturers come from and designing these suits was a kind of interesting Mm -hmm. experience for me to 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 have um light shed it on for myself now uh i really think you really have to do a risk assessment um mm -hmm. look at the types of environments that you're diving you know look at your strategic history nfpa 1670 requires a team to well suggest a team to go back and look at their particular environments and do some type of a risk assessment of their environments and look at the history of the types of dives they're doing. Look at the where, if I'm diving in a marina, am I diving in just rivers or ponds or farm ponds, hog lagoons, whatever it is, look at all those different environments. And then, and then you want to get with those particular manufacturers and you want to look at, have they had any type of test data done on those materials? Mm -hmm. um, and just like we do with a hazmat suit in the fire service, you want to understand what those limitations are. we got to understand what the breakthrough time is, what the permutation rate is, and then, um, and uh, degradation of those materials when they're exposed to different types of environments. And as long as we can understand that, then we can be able to effectively choose the right type of um, suits. Now, most dive teams can't say, hey, I got five different suits on the truck. So therefore, they have to say, all right, what suit's going to work for me the most? And sadly, sometimes I may be looking at that vulcanized rubber suit, which is that more expensive suit. Mm -hmm. But if most of my environments, I'm not diving in that hog waste lagoon. You know, I may just go back and say, all right, I'm that trial may be effective for most environments that I'm diving in. And if we get to that environment where that suit is not adequate, sorry, we got to do that risk assessment, say we're not diving in this environment. You know, sometimes you have to say, learn to say no, and then you have to educate the powers that be why you decided no that day. You so know, uh, based on what you have. Yeah. So basically that, that brings up the question of where do you find that information? Uh, because that is like the, uh, the breakthrough time and all that. Where did you find that information? Where can we find that published information? Because I think that is 
somewhat of a challenge to find for a lot of people. Uh, you're going to have to go back to your manufacturers and say, hey, do you have any chemical test data done on this suit? And a lot of times they must say, all right, we have these specific chemical classifications and we run exposures on these particular suits at this for this particular chemical. Uh, there's are some other data out there. Uh, you, there's some historical data on vulcanized rubber suits. That's, mm-hmm. You can go to different manufacturers. You can find that. Uh, I believe it was Steve Barsky for a few years ago wrote some pretty good stuff on mm-hmm. um, exposure suits that you can pull some of that data back up. But whether you go to OMS or you go to whoever else, you go to uh, Aqualung, get their white suit. They got some chemical test data on those suits. Mm-hmm. You know, So the manufacturer is going to give it to you. Yeah, um, I know DUI's got a published one. That's the one that I kind of have gone yes. to and given to people previously, but it, there's doesn't seem to be very many other published things. So, uh, Tim, where are you actually located? In New Jersey. Whereabouts in New Jersey? You got to be more specific. Mawa, New Jersey. Mawa, New Jersey. Yeah, kind of uh, Rockland County. Yeah. So, Daryl, you might want to clarify what a hog waste pound is to, pond is to Tim, because I don't know if t- Tim has any hog waste ponds going on. So, what is a hog waste pond? Oh, I kind of got the idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, down eastern North Carolina, we have these big, huge hog farms, and uh, and they, they're all in concrete slabs, and when they get done with the... Um, Whatever the hogs have to do for the day, they, they reproduce that corn or slop into something else, and it's washed out the back into these big lagoons. There you, you go. Know, and, sometimes, and sometimes when storms come through, that stuff spills out. We, we're prone to hurricanes in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. These things spill out. We get them into all other places, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's some pretty nasty stuff that's out there. Uh, it's at, I mean, end up in those nasty environments. I never uh-huh. had Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything always ends up there, right, for you yeah, guys? Yeah. 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 I think you guys have very unique takes on what the nastiest thing you guys have to dive in is. So that, that's pretty interesting. But um, so back to the rescue diver type stuff. Uh, so we got a lot of situations where you don't know what you don't know that the teams try to train internally um, from what we've seen or, or they they seek out someone that is, you know, we've seen where um, someone kind of hands out cards because somebody says they've got experience and they and they give a, a certification card, which is hard to, to combat. Uh, but uh, I've, I've seen it previously where somebody has just been given a card because they said they've done some stuff uh, and, and there's been shorts taken. And I know that's hard to, to combat, but uh what is some um, recommendations you have for people for external training i mean basically we're trying to to implore people to get external training and especially from the public safety it's so hard to convince people that you should interact with other instructors and they have something valuable for you and, and I, i've seen a challenge in that whole area so can can you speak to that uh, a little bit daryl on, on trying to find some external training and and uh and collaborations yeah. One of the things we've done, we've worked on it really hard down here in North Carolina over the last few years. We have quite a few instructors in the area and uh, we realize that I'm not an expert in everything that's out there. You know, there might be one thing that someone does a little bit better than me because they're in the Western North Carolina or Eastern North Carolina or on the surf or whatever it is. They have that different experience. So we're collaborating with different ERDI or public safety instructors within our region. So when we're running classes, it's not just Daryl Adams sitting up front. I have several other instructors that are regionally or even a little bit further out. We bring them in and we co-teach these classes together. So you have that diversified knowledge, you know, and from that diversified knowledge, we all learn. I think Tim mentioned it earlier. Uh, we those are skill sets that we, we don't mind sharing. We don't mind other people learning because it may be that thing that makes that person go home. You know, at the end of the day, you know, whether we're going down south and we're pulling people up, um, in South Carolina, Georgia, whoever else, you know, or even East or West, we bring those people in for those specific knowledge bases, you know, because there's no way I can know it all. So we, we have to reach out. And as an instructor, you have to be honest about yourself, what your knowledge base is. If you're not honest about your own knowledge base, then we can misrepresent ourselves really, really well. And so, uh, but at the same time, uh, we also have to always continue to challenge ourselves to learn and become better, whether it's going up and training with Tim or going down south and training with someone else, you know, learn something from someone else, because at the end of the day, that makes me a better instructor. And therefore, when I bring things to the students, that diversified knowledge is also there. Mm-hmm. Tim, your take. 
Uh, I couldn't agree more, Dale. We we bring people from all over the country up to the task force to train in sonar, and we've had Mark Phillips and Buck up to teach their survival classes and lifting. If you're not going to call the people with experience in to train you, and you're just going to kind of self-proclaim you have the experience, you're doing nothing but getting your team and the people around you in trouble. And that's a scary situation. I think a lot of these training issues from being a volunteer fireman is it's money. It comes down to volunteers can do train the trainer, they call it. You go take a class, you come back, and all of a sudden you can teach the class. And I think it gets taken a little too far when it comes to rescue evolutions, swift water, boat ops, dive, or whatever you want to call it. They're not going through, and I'm, I'm a big believer in ERDI, but I tell students all the time, go to Dive Rescue International. See what their instructors can teach you. Don't stop with me. Please, I never stopped at any one of my instructors. I'm still learning. I did trimix. We did hard hat. I got 18 years and I want to learn more. There's a, you're never going to perfect this art. It's an art diving. And if you're not going to pursue other training agencies outside of ERDI or go to Jason and do FRIT stuff, how do you know your capabilities if you're not learning from multiple people? And that's where I feel like these departments kind of get in a trap. And then they're getting free training by the in-house guy that's been there 20, 30, 40 years. And I completely respect that guy. He's amazing. And the experience for that general area he can bring to the table is untouchable. You can never read about it in a book. He's lived it. But they need to bring other people in, too. And that person that's doing training and training needs to accept they're not the only one. And I think when you go through a, a true instructor program and deal with professional people in the industry, you learn that. Man, you haven't learned it all, and you better keep learning and pursue your. If you want to be a better instructor, you got to keep learning. It's mm -hmm. just, I know you're doing it, Jason. I'm sure you're doing it, Daryl. It's, it's just what you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean that that's that presents a lot of challenges from, um, from the the lay diver, if you will, going towards um, like a emergency response type of, of situation is for, for us to say it and, and come in as, you know, I'm just a technical diver. I don't understand it. And I, I get that 100%. Uh, we have a lot of people that try to present themselves. I'm a scuba instructor. So therefore I'm a public safety diver instructor. Like, no, no we're going to have some conversation. I mean, I'm an ice diving instructor and a technical diving instructor. So there's a lot of safety protocols that I'm going to beat you up about that. That's, beat the that meet the line of ERDI, but by no means would I understand what public safety diving is myself. And we I see a lot of people that are frustrated with what do you mean I gotta be on a public safety dive team to be able to teach ERDI? Like yeah. well what really like pretty much the only thing since you brought up brought up first response training, pretty much the only thing you can teach without ever having done it is CPR which is kind of weird, but also you don't want to require people to go out and do chest compressions before they teach that either. That's kind of a tough one. Um, so how do you, how do you deal with uh, from the, the lay diver? How do you deal with different public safety situations? What resources do you have to implore your local public safety divers to go ahead and seek additional training? How can you help them and build trust? Uh, Tim, what you got there? It's a, it's another fine line to walk. Like with my department and a lot of surrounding, you have to become a firefighter to be on our dive team. Uh -huh. It drives me nuts. I, I have some really good friends that would love to public safety dive, but they want nothing to do with going into a burning building. And that will tell you, you got to go through 32, 64 weeks of training, this, that, and the other thing. And then you got to take rescue tech for our department. So you could be on the rescue side of things and be on the dive team. So the, the challenge is, it's hard. I get calls from regular recreational instructors, like you just said, hey, Tim, I want to take the class with you so I could teach it. That scares me so bad. I'm sure yes. Daryl gets those calls. And I, they leave, I'm sure, not liking the phone conversation because I didn't give them what they wanted. But you mm. got to almost keep this industry close. And you got to worry about these unnamed people with no PSD experience getting a rubber stamp. And then teaching it's scary mm -hmm. and there's very few public safety instructors so i'm sure daryl gets the calls i know mark and buck get the calls all the time hey i want to come go through your erdi class so i could teach it's i think recreational needs to explain like you don't have an open water diver saying he's going to go deco and go hit the doria after yeah. his first pool session 
Mm-hmm. And that's yep. almost like these instructors are getting done with their recreational cert thinking they could just do everything now. And and unfortunately, they're going to kill people. And that's scary to me. Now, I think yeah. as Jason, as an IT and a, a course director, it needs to be some kind of standards in an instructor program, recreational, saying, hey, you can't teach technical diving. You can't teach public safety diving until you mm-hmm. have the experience. Right. Yeah. Daryl, your take. What resources? What? What? How can we? How can we um, talk to public safety individuals and and convey that that we need to have that higher level? How can we um, push them in the direction that they need to go when they're doing that sort of internal type training? I think uh, you just really got to bring those guys in and just sit them down and and explain to them when you start looking at all what is involved in a public safety dive scene or a or an environment you know all what goes in to make sure an operation runs effect, efficiently and effectively and because it's just not one diver jumping in the water there's a lot of other moving parts and pieces that all have to make this go together and, and understanding how to manage all that and understanding that experience uh you know we all need as public safety professionals especially um instructors or whatever else we need to have that practical experience we need to be a practologist of our craft right now um, so if we're not a practologist of our craft then what do we bring to the table when we can when we when a person comes and asks what about this type of environment this i just read it in a book and i'm going to pass it on no that's not going to be effective you know you've got to be have that real world experience if you're a guy that's on a team and um you've never done a public safety dive but um, you've done all this dives in training, but you've never had a real call out. You've never done anything in the real world environment. Where do you what value do you bring to the table? And so you got to kind of coach these people along and say, hey, there's no shame in taking a while to get to where you want to go. Develop your craft get good at your craft. And once you get that and you have that experience, then be willing to share that knowledge and share those experiences. But. We tell I tell the guy that rides on the back of the fire truck, I'm like, enjoy your time on the back of that fire truck. Don't rush necessarily to be the driver or the lieutenant or the captain. You know, enjoy that time, perfect that craft. It's the same thing in public safety diving. Enjoy that time learning how to run that pattern or be that tender or whatever else it is and get really, really good at it. And then when the time comes for you to step up, then you actually have a good foundation moving forward. And so that's just really where you got to take these people and just understand that, that the timeline is not a zero a hero necessarily mm-hmm. that's excellent um tim you did bring up an excellent point that has been my quarrel over and over and over again and let me let me qualify this um to say that you have to be a fireman you have to be on the on fire you have to be wanting to go into a burning building you have to be on fire to be on the rescue dive team um I take issue with that. I understand that um, the training should be there, that that you need to go above and beyond just a recreational type of thing. But there are divers that want to be on the dive team that want to help that have no interest in going into the fire. And it's just like if you reversed it and said, oh, you want to be a fire fire? Oh yeah. You got to be a diver. Like we, you can't get into these houses until you actually get underwater. Like that's just ridiculous. Um, so I take quarrel in that cause I, I wanted to help previously. And, um, but, and I hear the same thing that you're hearing of there is no way on a lot of our dive teams that you can get on a dive team without being uh, a firefighter or a police officer uh, of some sort, which is, which is a challenge in itself. I know that there's some privatized dive teams. Daryl, do you have privatized dive teams? How about you? There's a few um, in our area, but um, there are volunteer teams. And okay. some of those volunteer teams um, have a diverse uh, membership, you mm-hmm. know, but uh, you have to really look at that skill set of some of those, of the, some of those memberships. Some of them are yeah. really good. Some of them um, don't step up to the challenge, but some of them do, you know, yeah. there are a couple of privatized, but uh, most of them are, uh, public safety in nature, you know, whether it's fire yeah. police or a combination or maybe EMS or something. Yeah. So that, I think that's, that's becomes the issue of, I think some of the Southern states from who I've talked to just in general, like that's an unofficial poll. And by any means, some of the Southern states tend to have some more of a volunteerism type of you privatized uh, dive teams and up by us, Tim, it's, you know, if you're not on one of the dive teams, you're out of luck type of situation. A lot so. of that comes down to the liability that the town's mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're insuring the guys as firemen. 
Uh and you're doing hazmat or rescue or dive which falls under fireman insurance and i know Uh that's my town's big issue why everybody laughs at me when i say i want to change it but we do we have ringwood rescue and recovery they're a private dive team outside of the fire department they're one of the few we have parsippany rescue and recovery that has a program that will take a diver as an associate member so it doesn't force them to do rescue work but again, this comes down to these guys' municipalities and who's backing them and what their insurance is going to allow them to do. Mm-hmm. My hands are completely tied. I agree with you, Jason. It drives me nuts. Anybody that knows me will tell you it drives me nuts. There's some really – it calls all the time. Tim, how do I join the team? These are guys that have more experience than me. That would be a huge asset to yes. go back up a guy. I mean, they're diving 300 feet every weekend like it's a joke. You yep. put them to back up a guy going to 20 foot of water, he's going to walk in, grab him, and come out. Like, it's mm-hmm. nothing not going to rattle this guy but yep. he doesn't want to fight fire and that and again i agree jay it sucks i want these yeah. guys i want them to join their local teams or join down by Dow because we'd have some really yeah. amazing teams if we had that ability yeah and you see that like in cave country where everybody kind of steps back and goes mm, yeah yeah if you want to get the if you want to do the recovery then yeah we'll get whomever to do the recovery they're not on a, on a safety dive team by any means but no one's going in that environment to get them because they're not trained at all you know and like you were saying 300 foot on a rack guys tangled up you're probably not sending a, a dive team down to get that guy no. so not a chance, no. not a chance. So, and it definitely leaves a hole. And I think that's an area of conversation that, that should be had eventually. But like we said, there's enough red tape as it is just trying to establish whether rescue divers enough for a dive team, let alone talking about technical trimix, rebreather recoveries. Um, <laughs> that's, that's outside of the range. Yeah. On a PSD training op, you should have seen everybody's head spin. Okay. <laughs> You're not coming out there. We were uh-huh. training yeah. canine dogs, and I wanted to know if those dogs were tracking my bubbles or my scent, so I brought the rebreather, and they yeah, were to me, but people were looking at me crazy. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. I like that. That's that's a very nice way of doing things. Um, So you can take public safety, like I'm jumping on, I'm not a public safety diver really by any stretch of imagination. I've gotten calls to help with some deeper type of, you know, uh, type of stuff that's that say similar to like the cave type of situation where, you know, um, no one's looking anymore. Uh, We have a general idea where something's at. Can you go down that deep? Yeah. Okay. Um, We'll, we'll putz around and if something happens, we'll, we'll notify and throw a bag type of scenario. Um, But uh the you can get emergency response public safety diving training before becoming a public safety diver fully uh so like tim what what class are you coming up running well we've been doing operational level certs so we we have tender operations going and i think that's a great class to give people an introduction to what actually is happening around them We, we cover everything it's not just about tending it's about what the diver's doing and setting up a crime scene and establishing decon and for a recreational diver that wants to know that this is really a different world, that's a great class to check out. Um, we have contaminated water operations, and we're teaching the guys how to run checklists and scrub a guy down. I mean, these are you could take a fireman. I have 18 divers on our team, but I have like 40 tenders because I've trained the firemen how to be land-based operations. And when a fireman can help a diver and when volunteers like us, you don't know who's coming. So the more people you can establish with training that do show up, you have better odds of running a successful operation. Yeah. So like I jumped into your tender class because, and, and for my aspect is ice diving. So we do a fair amount of ice diving. Our ice diving classes are very, very popular. We use the ERDI slates for our ice diving communications. Granted it is a little bit different, but we use that. And so it's just extending education on my standpoint of, finding more public safety type of individuals that might be around and making our ice diving operations safer. So, and all those are online, right? That yeah, you're doing right now. Yes. Yeah. I told you for that. Cause he, you take a recreational diver who wants to go into the ice and all of a sudden he's got a line on him. That, that's a whole nother animal. You, you got it, someone topside that doesn't know what a pull signal is and they just, <laughs> it's it's not an overly pleasant experience let me tell you that it's not like you can applaud it all you want but it's not like rainbow and sunshine out there all the time so (laughs) and free-flowing regs and i brought my piston reg today like what oh uh okay um so daryl what what are you up to training with this whole situation we're in right now with uh covid coronavirus all that fun stuff 
Uh, well, you know, headquarters released some of these programs out here for some dive teams to to try to do some um, online um, education, trying to keep some mm-hmm. things up. So we pushed those out to a lot of teams down in this area uh, so they can get some of the online classes. We've actually done some in-service training, you know, not necessarily certification, but go in for the guys and, and do an in-service thing to where I go into their three or four team leads and train, work with their team leads and say, hey, now go back on your shift and train in a smaller group. You know, say, hey, hey, go back over and do this skills refresher. It's not a certification necessarily, but you're all full face mask divers. So go into the pool and um, or a private pool, whatever they have, and practice some of this, you know, in smaller groups. You know, so we, we refresh that skill set with their supervisors on each shift and they carry it back. And so we're doing some of that type of thing with them. Um, so you're telling me education for the sake of education and not a plastic card? Uh, yeah, necessarily. Wow. I mean, that, that is a novel concept. Yeah. Not given. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough concept for people to get when they come meet me and our guys is that we don't give away cards. Yeah, mm-hmm. I understand you paid for a program, but if you don't walk away as a safe, efficient person for what level yeah. you should be, then you can come back all you want for free, but I'm not just going to give you a card. Yeah, that's yeah. like my solo class. Most people are educated a ton with my solo class. Not very many walk away with an actual certification card. So it's tough. You know Wayne Fish? Take his technique yeah. class. <laughs> mm-hmm. He made me a great diver, and I learned that concept. Like, if you want to produce a safe student, you can't just give them a card because they did a couple things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's the cancer in the industry right now. Mm-hmm. And that's why these online classes, I'm doing an operations because – they're getting an idea of what's happening. But if they want to be a technician, they need to come out in the field and get in the dirt and put the work in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think Tim can knows this as well. You know, if you pull up on a fire scene and, and who's that person that's out there standing as that writ person coming in for you? You know, where do you want that skill set of that person at? Mm-hmm. I want that guy who's on the safety and I'm out there running that pattern. I want that guy to have the skill set if I get myself in trouble to be able to affect that rescue. And you know, with our training program that we that we teach for, you know, that all gives us that little bit of out that says, hey, do you trust this person to be able to do what they need to do? Um, then we don't have to issue them a certification. We can say, hey, this is what you need to keep doing to be efficient and to be um, effective in this environment. Because at the end of the day, you want that person to be able to do their job, do it effectively and go home. You know, um, if they if they can't get that skill set, then it, I'm sorry, that's just a conversation we got to have. And You've got to go overcome this point to get it. And I think, that, I think that's where recreational instructors make me a little timid because it, I hate to say it, but recreational diving, you're kind of on your own. You're going to hurt you or your buddy or your buddy's not going to be able to help you. PSD diving, like Daryl said, you got you got to depend on the 90% diver, the safety diver, that he's a better diver than you to handle your composure to come get you. That's a huge uh-huh. responsibility to give a guy a card and say, all right, you're an ERDI supervisor. You're, you're the top of the line guy. You could back him up. You could do the pull signals, run the command. Those are big shoes to fill when you're going to have 20, 30 divers, five different teams show up for a big event. Yeah, I think that that point's lost in a lot in a lot of the the training that's that's taking place. Not not specifically emergency response diving, but but the train the training that's taking place within certain dive teams from um, an outsider's view, uh, I guess, yeah. is, is the best the best case because uh, I don't have the insider's view. I've got the outsider's view, but but I've heard complaints on on, on different levels and, and different ways, and, and I think that that brings up a lot of good points. Uh, I guess one of the things to to drive home as we're coming to the end of our hour is um, not your top of the line craziest skill set, but when you guys are talking. Uh, maybe ERD two or, or maybe even ERD one, what is some of the, the skills and drills you guys go through that above and beyond rescue that really drives home the, the difference in them. And, and to give you my example, um, my solo class to drive it truly home is a blackout mass DSMB throw without losing your buoyancy is what is a categorized. You have to get out of solo and you have to make a uh, appropriate uh, ascent. So you throw it from 30 feet and you actually have to make a controlled slow ascent using your uh, line to be able to get to the surface to make get my solo certification. That drives home the point where people go, oh, 
Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a little different. Is, is there a, a set of skills or, or a drill that you guys go through? I think Tim, you mentioned kind of entanglements and stuff like that. Is there something that you can really drive home the difference so that people understand the difference between a rescue diver certification where we're doing a mock drag versus what you guys are doing? Daryl, what do you got? Uh, there's a couple of things. Obviously, the first thing, if they ever look at the standard, they see the swim assessment. Most <laughs> of them choke right off the bat when they see that swim assessment. It's like, I got to swim a 500 meter what? I got to do it in what kind of time frame? You know, and that's a reality check for most people because they're not used to conditioning themselves that way. Um, I can tell you from personal experience being knocked out of a boat in the middle of a hurricane in swift water that when the crap hits the fan, you can't call a timeout. You've got to be able to effectively handle that situation and get yourself back out of that. Yeah. Um, so there are no timeouts in what we do. And those guys, they have to realize that. And when we see that swim test, that's one of them. You know, uh, other skill sets is when you're talking about taking off the full face mask and having to clear it. You know, uh, you, you go look at Buck, what he's doing down in Georgia, you know, clearing the mask many times off of one breath. He takes a big breath and he clears the mask multiple times. And when people Ten see time, somebody, yeah, it's crazy <laughs> what he's doing, you know, when you see some of those skill sets that people out there teaching guys. And that's there's some value in there, you know, um, you know, uh, you think as a rescue diver, you know, um, even the free diving type of stuff that's out there, you know, you look at it, it's like, is there value in these programs for me? You know, if the crap hits the vest, how long can I pause my breathing to be able to switch out that rip bottle that Tim was talking about, the other divers bringing down to you through that gas block? Can I pause my breath for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, you know, while I'm in the middle of panic? So we do a lot of um, mass switching drills. We do a lot of um, uh, where we bring in down the rip bottle and we switch those out. And it's all part of the, the, the gas management side of it. And we do entanglement props as well. And, and when they see the entanglement and they see it and they go through it when they see it the first time, then we put them through the entanglement prop blind. You know, I mean, sometimes it's an eye-opening experience that, hey, I am in a bad situation. I can't get out of it. Now we got to send the safety diver in blind also to go get this person out. So that's what we build up to eventually, you know. But uh, I think the biggest one is that swim test. When they see that, they're just like, okay, it's a little serious now. Yeah, and it's clearly clear that Joseph Glenn could never pass that, so we don't have to worry about him being a public safety diver. So yeah, I, 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 you may hear him cry about that a little bit. <laughs> I don't, yep. I don't know if he's watching or not, but uh, he'll, he'll, I'll make sure he sees it. Okay. Um, Tim, uh, what's uh, something? Talk about maybe your entanglement, or if you had an idea of something different, but uh, you know, something different that really sets you apart, apart from rescue. I do appreciate that all three of us ended our big end with blacked out divers started. We do some pretty fun entanglements, almost excessive. You uh -huh. want it like mass confidence for a fireman. You almost want to trap them, see uh -huh. how bad they're going to react. And uh, we're big believers in the not panic. That's what we start every course with. We want to train you to, to respond to the problem, not react to the problem. When you react to the problem, you generate an issue. When you exactly. respond, your brain is taking over the training stepping in. So I tell divers, all right, so you couldn't do the face mask, but you kept your composure. You switched to the regulator. You told me you were no good. We came up, we assessed it. I'm not gonna beat you up for that. You rip the face mask off, start climbing the ladder and hitting the elevator in your BC, we're gonna have a major problem to deal with. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the entanglement is fun. The big one that I know I enjoy and the staff enjoys is there's two of them. One, we have a jack stay. We put it in a box. It's got four mushroom weights, four lines, and the jump line with all the snap hooks. When the divers start getting a little cocky about them advancing through the level, we throw that in the pool in a big-ass box that's got extra lines, and we tell them sort it out, and they have no idea what it is. And I have some videos we've put up that <laughs> – it's amazing to watch the team effort come together. Someone steps up. These guys can't talk. They're underwater. Someone uh -huh. will step up and just start pointing, and next thing you know, stuff shakes out. And then you're like, hey, you guys are a team now. Congratulations. Uh -huh. yeah. the, the big ERDI 2-1 that we do is body recovery. Blacked out body recovery in the bottom of a res. Yeah, That's the end-all, be-all for me. And it's my staff is down there watching. I'm down there watching. And it's not just, hey, recreational level, I'm going to shoot a bag. Shit's going to sort itself out. Excuse the language. This is, yeah. you need to be respectful. Mm -hmm. We need to raise a body with dignity and, and care. So we're teaching the guys how to black out divers, two divers, to deploy lift bags simultaneously and lift this victim 
flat and level in a bag. Yep. That, that is sounds easy. Go try it. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, body bags present a whole yeah. nother level of craziness. The, and now you the, got guys that are five, six foot apart and you can't see each other. And you need to use dark water hand signals to communicate on when you're going to fill the bag. And is the zipper closed? And there's a lot, a lot of mental challenges that they got to overcome. And when we see a diver perform the entanglement and be able to recover the body efficiently, we know they're a team player and they they can handle the stress of going to help their fellow diver. Mm-hmm. I think so much of that falls into the you don't know what you don't know. We, we see dive teams that go on on simple calls that, that consider themselves dive teams, and they are dive teams, but they 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 feel fully trained. Let's put it that way. They're, they're a dive team, but they feel fully trained, and they and maybe they are for the most part for their environment. But working in the emergency department, I know that I could sit there for seven hours and have seven, seven hours and 45 minutes and have nothing go really all that wrong. In the last yeah. 15 minutes, it could be yeah. the largest and I'll steal Tim's word. I'll largest shit show ever where you're like, yeah. I don't even for seven hours and 45 minutes, anybody could do this job for this 15 minutes. You better be on your toes. Um, so you're preparing for a worst case scenario. And, and I think that a lot of people, you know, they don't know what they don't know and they don't know what a worst case scenario is. And, and just like the CPR thing of, you know, first response training, you can't require CPR as your standard because you never know what's going to hit you. You don't know when that's going to happen. You know, as a lay person, not often do you see that. Um, if you're on a rig or if you're in the hospital or different situations, you're going to see it more often, but I could work multiple shifts in the ED and never see CPR. And there's other nights that I've done it six times in a row, you know, um, Call after call after call. Yeah. Guys on the team 20 years never recovered a body. And we got guys on a team a year that have pulled one or two out. So you Uh just never know when the cards are going to fall. Yeah. So, and, and that's a challenge in conveying that sort of, that sort of aspect. So, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you guys back in the green room. Um, and, uh, I'm going to chat with my, uh, my actually we got a fair amount of people watching it for especially for an erdi and normally people kind of are a little bit shy with some of the emergency response type stuff so we had a fair amount of people watching i'm going to say goodbye to those people then i'll come back and say goodbye to you guys before uh, i let you go so i'm gonna put you guys in the green room sound good sounds great all right see you guys in a minute all right thanks guys all right, guys, thank you very much. I know it was a little long-winded and it's slightly off track, but it is exactly what we wanted to talk about. Uh, lots of different things with emergency response diving and public safety diving in general. Um, uh, Dave and uh, Juan were talking about the fact that, yes, we are going to have this uh, posted and it's it's saved up on Facebook Live. It is also saved on to uh, YouTube, on our YouTube tra- channel, A Dram of Diving. Uh, you will see a subscribe button right above my name there, uh, probably right about now uh, in the YouTube. We got to add it on afterwards, but you will see that there. Uh, again, once again, thank you very much for all of your uh, your help and watching uh, and the whiskey glass purchases. Uh, mine was actually empty tonight, but because uh, we were just chatting, chatting, chatting. But the whiskey glass purchases are through the roof and amazing, and we've got to order more which I love that fact. And we've got a Patreon, which I can put up there also. Uh, and any Patreon stuff helps. We're going to start working on some different things. You should see it a week from Saturday. We should be having something a little bit special, a little bit different, a little bit fun. Uh, so I'm going to be hanging out with a couple of yahoos that uh, are fun. And we're going to be having a, possibly having a guest host. So we're working on that whole thing. Uh but all that comes down to all your guys' help with buying the whiskey glasses and, and Patreon stuff. So I really, truly appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Be well, be safe, and we should see you. I think we're going to be back on next week. It's going to get a little bit busy uh, dive season-wise, but we should be back on next week. Thank you very much again. Have a wonderful night, and we will see you soon. Take care.